Hey, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, we always say hi to our friends at all of our campuses at Bel Air and Edgewood and here at Mountain Road. Hey, this last weekend um, was kind of a big deal in our family, kind of one of those mile marker moments. Uh, my oldest son, Nathan, um, much to the surprise of everyone, uh, graduated from college. So, not really a surprise. Here's a picture. Here's a picture uh, of that with uh, uh, me and two of his sisters and graduating. It's actually his mother on his right there. But, you know, it was kind of a disruptive moment for me. You know, you have a few disruptive moments in life where you kind of stop and you look and you realize, what the heck happened here? What, how did this happen? This, was the, this is the kid, I, you know, set it on the tee and have him hit it off the tee and reading him stories and now he's... I don't get it. It's like, where did the time go? I remember it was just yesterday when he was in the nursery with his little buddy, Josh Ramsaran. Here's a picture of Nathan and his little buddy, Josh Ramsaran, when they were little. They loved each other and they were little buddies and all of that kind of stuff. This was actually back in a church in Tennessee when we were there. That was before our lives got completely screwed up by going to Maryland. And, uh, but so, so Nathan and his little buddy Josh, they kind of lost track of each other and, over the years. And uh, as God's providence would have it, they both chose the same college and went to the same college as freshmen together. And as God's providence would have it, they were randomly paired together as roommates and have lived together the last four years, are the best of buds on a road trip this weekend. Crazy stuff. And so we're down there cleaning out the dorm that these guys had, because of their good friendship apparently, had figured out a way to make a lot of scum accumulate in their dorm room over a four-year period. We're cleaning it up, and as they're there, we just say, hey, look at this picture we found, and then had them. Here's, here's a picture of these guys last Friday night. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, yep, bunch of knuckleheads. It's just a phase. And my other son, Andrew, is finishing up his freshman year at college, and someone stole my little girl and put a 17-year-old young woman in my, in my home. I, my, my body is slowing down. My wife is slowing down. Everything's, everything is, um, everything's a phase. Here's the thing. If you think that you're going to stay where you are right now, well, you're wrong. And everyone around you is also moving and in movement, and every single part of our life is a stage. It's a phase, and here's my encouragement to you. Don't miss it. Everyone's in some phase or stage or another. We're always in transition from one to another. And there's so much to be had and experienced and learned and gained. And, and it's important that we don't miss it. And that's really the thrust of this series. It's called It's Just a Phase, So Don't Miss It. All about life stages and phases. And every week's going to be for everybody. Because either it's going to speak directly to you or it's going to speak directly to someone you're living with or love and care about. Or it's going to speak to you in a couple of years, or a way to unpack and reflect where you used to be. We're going to talk a lot about parents and kids and little tiny kids and elementary kids and older kids and adolescents and young adults and singles and marrieds and, and not marrieds and, and mothers and fathers and old people and everything in between. And all of it will be for every week. And we're going to try to just say, well, what does the Bible have to say? Because it turns out that a lot of the advice and counsel we have about how to really live life to the full at every stage is just completely wrong. And so... It's just a phase, but don't miss it. 
It turns out this is a pretty biblical idea. You maybe remember in Ecclesiastes it says, you know, there's a season for this, there's a season for that. For everything there is a time. And the Bible often has this kind of big picture perspective, doesn't it? Where it kind of helps us appreciate that life is a series of connected phases. I like Psalm 90. It it says in our Bibles, the heading there is a Psalm of Moses. But this, I think it should say, this is a Psalm of Moses when he was an old dude. Because this is not a young man's psalm. Psalm 90, if you want to look at it real quick, it just kind of gives us that. It lifts us and enables us to see kind of life from a bigger perspective. Think about your own life. Make it your own prayer, maybe, as I read Psalm 90, 1 through 6. Lord, through all the generations, you've been our home. I've been all over the place. I've gone here, I've gone there. But Lord, I keep coming home to you through all the different phases of my life. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth. Hey, remember that phase when there was no earth and world and then, they, and then the, of course, the earth and the world came? Even God was before that. He's, he's bigger and over all of the phases. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals, for you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours are to us. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. You know, you have that dream, you think it's so clear and permanent and real, and it's like, ah, it's real. And then you get up and you're like, you're in the shower, you can't even remember what it was. Life's phases are like that. And God's perspective is like that. We're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it's dry and withered. We're going to talk this weekend about the dry and withered part. Some of you are like, oh good, the person next to me will really get a lot out of this. That's all of us. I'm going to talk about all of us, dry and withered part. Later on in verse, I think, 9 of Psalm 90, it says we end our years with a groan. Go ahead and give a groan if you'd like. Some of you are already good at groaning because you're at that season. Some of you will be soon. Some of you think you never will be. Some of you, it's a long way off. Some of you have been groaning so long you don't even know you're groaning. But it says in Psalm 90, verse 10 and 12, we live 70 years or so, some make it to 80. And then it says this, these great words, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need some wisdom. We need to wise up about life. God, teach us how to have the perspective you have about our phases and our stages. Make us wise. Make us smart. Help us to count our days so that we can make every day count. Give us a heart of wisdom so that whatever stage we're in and whatever stage others around us, we can understand it from a godly and wise perspective. We're going to talk today about finishing well. We're talking about the twilight years. We're talking about old codgers. It may look a little strange for me to be hobbling around on this walker right now, but maybe one day, right? Getting old is not for weenies. It's, uh, they say that the mind when you get older is the third thing to go. I can't remember. There's two other things, right? I can't remember what they're... <laughs> There's actually, memory loss has, has four stages as well. You maybe know about the, lo- the phases of memory loss. The first phase is where you just forget names. You're like, oh, what's that guy's name? The second phase of memory loss is where you forget faces. You're like, huh, do I know her? 
The third phase is where you use the restroom and then you forget to pull your zipper back up. Of course, the fourth phase is when you use the restroom and forget to pull your zipper down. So when you're, when you're getting old, when you're getting old, everybody knows it. Everybody knows it because they can see it. Your hair, your, your sags and bags, and, you know, it just, it just happens. It's not for weenies, it's not for wimps, but it is coming for all of us. We're talking about running around the track of life and eventually you come to a finish line. And everyone almost does it. My daughter is running track, Ellie, and she's a sprinter and they made her do something horrific and almost on borderline abuse. They made her run a 400 meter sprint, which I would not advise for anyone. But they made her do it. And she did it. When you're running a 400-meter sprint all the way around that track as fast as you can, everything in you hurts. You're coming down to the finish line. And you, you, you hear the coaches and the people who know about running yelling as they come down that final thing. They say, keep your form. Keep your form. Keep your arms like this. You know, don't start flailing and dragging. Don't slip out of your lane. Keep your stride. Keep your, your hips in. Keep your feet straight ahead. Keep your stride. Don't let the fatigue and the wear and the tear of this long run just make you go all the pot. And you just remember the basics. Don't do something stupid. Finish well. Finish strong. Are you going to do that in your life? Are you prepared to finish well? Of course, we have to acknowledge right out the gate here, don't we, that there's no guarantees any of us get to, get to old age. Now, some of you have already kind of gotten there, but none of, us, none of us are guaranteed that we'll make it to this old age stage. We'll finish. We just don't know when that is. We have it all mapped out in our heads. We're going to run around the track X number of times, we think. We think we see the finish line. Well, you don't know. We don't know. At a track meet this week, I saw some kids get disqualified. They call it DQ'd. DQ'd. It's not when they bring you a little ice cream cone from the Dairy Queen. DQ'd means you're out. False start, bam, fall down and get off the track or, you know, get the legs tangled up and so forth, drop the baton, whatever. It happens in life. As a pastor, I've done some funerals with some little tiny caskets and some obituaries that had the dates on either side of the dashes. They weren't very far apart. Some younger folk, you've been there. Some of us won't make it to old age. Our finish line won't be as old people. But for a lot of us, many of us maybe, we don't really have control over that. And the reality is, on the other hand, that we're all living longer. I mean, it seems like dying is going out of style. I mean, people are just keep living longer. They keep tacking on more years. It's like, wow. There's a new headline. World's oldest person, Susanna Jones, just died at age 119. And then it says this. I love this. Stand by as her cause of death is still under investigation. It's like, well, for crying out loud, can't a person just die of being old anymore? Like, good grief, between pacemakers and medical advantages and Viagra and plastic surgery, we don't just look younger and act younger, we're living longer. We're living longer. So I want to give you a question that Gordon McDonald gave me that haunted me for a long time, and then it began to be a gift because it guided me and still guides me and helps me a lot. And I want it to haunt you, not only just through this service, but maybe the rest of your life, so it can be a help and a guide to you too. Here's the question, million dollar question, here it is. What kind of old person do you want to be? What, what, kind of old per, what kind of old man am I going to be? What kind of old woman do you want to be? It's really worth thinking about. It's worth letting it haunt you a little bit. First of all, I can answer it in a general way. What kind of life you will have when you are old in that final stage if you make it that far? You know what the answer is? When you finally put tennis balls on the bottom of your walker, you know what you'll be? 
You'll be just a lot like you are right now unless something changes between now and then. You'll be exactly who you are today, just a more intensified version. This is true, isn't it? When you get old, you're just a slightly more intensified version of you. If you're mean and crotchety now, you're going to be really not a lot of fun to be around. If you're generally pleasant and kind, you're going to be a sweetheart and a dear, cute. If you, had, if you have an acidic tongue now, they're going to be drawing straws for who has to spend time with you. If you worry a lot now, it's going to consume you then. If you're impatient now, as you arrive at the years when you realize how little time you really do have left, you're going to be a bear. So who you are now matters because it's who you are going to be when you are old, just a little more intensified, unless something alters the trajectory, unless you believe that the God of the universe can still make all things new and begin to change you in important ways. Who you are now shapes who you will be in your final stage. So it matters. And so let's talk about that. I love the quote from Thomas Akempis. used to read and really enjoy him a lot from a couple centuries back. I didn't read it a couple centuries back. He wrote it a couple centuries back. Listen to this. If a person, if you ever have seen a person die, reflect that you too must pass the same way. How happy and wise is that person who strives now to be in life what he wishes to be found in death. Live now how you want to be then. Because you're on a trajectory that will take you straight there. So in the third third of life, as it's sometimes referred to, after the years of our productivity and our hyperactivity and our generativity where we're putting and producing and pushing, Richard Rohr says you have three options about what kind of old person you're going to be. When you get to your 60s, to your 70s, to your 80s and beyond, when you, when you get there, you've got three options. You can be, first of all, you could be a pathetic old fool. Pathetic old fool is someone who's desperate to be young again. Wistful about the good old days, always looking backward, trying to turn back the clock, trying to act young, a little pathetic, living in the past. Pathetic old fool. Or you can be an embittered old fool. An embittered old fool is angry and crotchety and feeling entitled and mostly mean. Heart is getting crusty, just embittered. Or third... You can be a holy old fool. A holy old fool is closer to God, has a wisdom about them that isn't available to younger folk, has a depth of kindness and is more like God and a bigger blessing to other people because they've shifted into the priorities about what is actually important in life and they're not given to the shallowness of youth anymore. And they're a holy old fool. Now, either way, you're an old fool. But I'll tell you what kind of old person I want to be. I want to be a holy old fool. That's exactly what I want to be. And I think you do too. 
I bet you do. And you might even think for a little bit about people who have graciously arrived toward the finish or who have already passed on and who did it right and who did it well, who did it with grace and poise. I tell you, one of those guys is in the Bible. His name's Paul. Paul was a holy old fool. Now, we meet Paul when he's a younger guy and he's traipsing all over the place in his generative years. He's running around and, and he's got full of adventures and, and virility and vitality, right? He's got all this energy and he's working hard. He's starting churches. He's, he's a globetrotting missionary. He's traveling all over. He's arguing in the public square. He's doing amazing things. He takes a beating, gets up and keeps on going. He gets out of prison, all this stuff. Amazing life in his middle years. But then we come to this book called Second Timothy. And now he's an old man. And he knows his time is short. And he's approaching the finish line. It's written, as one author says, in the shadow of the scaffold. He's writing from the Mamertine prison in Rome. He knows that in a few short weeks the executioner's sword is going to fall on his own neck. And it changes your perspective when you know that you are toddling toward the finish line, doesn't it? You have a kind of perspective when the shadows close in and twilight takes over. Some of you know what it's like to live in that impending darkness but there's a bright side in the darkness if you will as the poet William Longfellow said age is an opportunity no less than youth itself though in another dress and as evening twilight fades away well then the sky is filled by stars which are invisible by day it's true, isn't it? You can see some stuff in your old age that you can't see when you're in the bright days of busyness of youth. Things you can't see, don't see, won't see when you're young. So Paul is writing Second Timothy as an old guy. He knows some stuff. He's got depth and substance in his third third, a perspective like all of us could have when we finally come to the more mature version of ourselves that God has been trying to make out of you all along. When we leave the battles and bravado behind, when we don't care what others think, and here's Paul, this holy old fool writing where he can see stars in the darkness of his dungeon that he couldn't see before. And here's what he says, Second Timothy, let these words be your words. Chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, my life is already being poured out like a sacrificial offering to God. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And so now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And I can barely read those words without getting choked up. I've heard them at so many funerals of heroes of mine. And I so want it to be true of me. You want it to be true of you too. To be able to say you're ready. To be able to say that you're a holy old fool and you know what's important in life. To be able to say that your life was well lived. I want to pull some things out of there that will help us all, I think. 
This is a prescription. This is a prescription for how to finish well. This is a gift, these metaphors that Paul uses here. It's a picture of what kind of old person all of us want to be. And the only way you're going to be that kind of old person is if you let God start shaping you and making you right now. These are things we want to be true of us today. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 18 or 48 or 108. These are things we want to be true. Let's look at them. I want to pull four of them out and then land on the last one as an anchor to our soul. First, to finish well. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. This is a military metaphor. And I think it's just a reminder for us to to, to say, give your life to God's mission. Give your life's best energies to something that matters more than any puny little personal self-fulfillment vision. Give your life to, to God's stuff. Something beyond your life. Beyond the tiny vision that a retirement counselor or financial advisor is going to give you. Paul is standing there like a a warrior soldier at the end of the day of battle. His sword arm is heavy. His body is fatigued. His strength is sapped and spent. But he's not ashamed. He's not afraid. He knows I have fought the good fight. Others are going to have to take up the fight. I realize it. But I have fought the good fight. I want to be able to say that, and so do you. That you gave your life for what matters. So start now. Don't hold back. Pour yourself out. Don't quit. Don't go halfway. Fight the good fight. Are you engaged in a battle that matters most, or are you just going through motions trying to make a life according to whatever the fashion magazines or the health magazines tell us is important? Don't go halfway. Give your life for God. And for heaven's sakes, don't retire. I mean, you can quit a job or stop taking income if you want to, but never quit putting yourself out there for God's mission. It's what matters most to the world. It's what matters most to you. And it's what matters most to God. There's tons of pressure on old folk today to get to those retirement years and to just turn inward, be selfish, knit something and play golf and that's it. Become a selfish little inward jerk. And i got to admit, there's a lot of days that sounds pretty enticing. But I just, I'm seeing a different vision from an old guy named Paul who's the holy old fool that you and I want to be where we can stand and say, I fought the good fight. I hung in there. I, I don't have regrets. I, I gave my best energies to things that mattered the most. So I'm not going to be just, I'm not just going to go to the diner at four, play backgammon until it closes, and then go home and pack it in and tuck away. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to withhold my blessing from the next generation. I'm not going to just whine and complain about how bad everything is. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight the good fight. And your energy is different. Your stamina is different. What you can do is far different, but you're needed even more. We need to be like Caleb, that old guy in the Bible. You can read about it. I'm not going to take time, but Joshua chapter 14, read about it. Here's this old guy. And remember, they, they sent out some, the children of Israel sent out spies to go see how the land was going to be. And, and 10 of the spies came back and said, oh, it's really scary. You don't want to go there. There's giants over there. We could never do it, even though God had told them they could. Caleb and another dude come back and they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, they're big, but God can do this. Let's go. This is a man with faith. And the Bible says that he loved the Lord his God wholeheartedly. Well, they went with the majority report. 
And they wandered around the wilderness as a result for 40 years. 40 years later, he's 85 years old. 85 years old, Caleb is. And he says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. And he wants to go. He believes God's still going to do amazing things. And he wants a piece of that action. Is that true of you? And if it's going to be true of you in your old age, then you've got to start now just not considering that all of the great battles of your faith are behind you. They're in front of you. And that's true even if you're Caleb at age 85. Fight the good fight. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. Are all your great battles of faith behind you? Are you still letting God take you someplace exciting in your faith? Fighting the good fight of faith. Finish well, fight the good fight. Put God's mission right at the center. Second thing Paul says is he says, I have remained faithful. I have remained faithful. Here's the word, y'all. Stay faithful. You want to be faithful then on that day when you're coming across the finish line? You know what? Remain faithful now. Remain faithful to God. Remain faithful to the relationships that matter to you, to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, to your community, to the world. Stay faithful. He says, the time for my departure is near. This is a nautical metaphor. It pictures a boat, a, a, a boat kind of loosing from its moorings and pushing off. Paul is a guy who sailed all over the world. He was on lots of boat trips. But he's saying, this is my last voyage. I'm shipping out for the last time. I'm not coming back to be with you all on this one. And you know what? Right now, uh, my departure is here and I've remained faithful. So you remain faithful. Above all, stay close to Jesus. And the older we get, the more important it gets. Stay close to Jesus. Friend, listen. At the end of your life, who do you think you're going to meet? Your financial planner? It's Jesus. At the end of the day, He's all we've got. So stay close to Jesus. Remain faithful. And God will remain so faithful to us. Live with your eye on heaven. I love Psalm 39. It says, We're merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. That's the description of a young person's life. Busy rushing. We heap up wealth. We don't even know who's going to spend it. And so... Lord, where do I put my hope? In either of those things, my productivity or my portfolio? No, the answer is my only hope is in you. Remain faithful and he will remain faithful to you. That's the kind of old person you want to be. That's the kind of old person you want to be, knowing that everything's cool as you come across the line. Third, he says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. Finish well. Finish well. Paul loved this athletic metaphor. He uses it all over the place. Life is a race and you're going to come across that finish line. Can we talk about finishing as in finishing? Like dying? You know it's okay to talk about dying? You know you're going to die, right? Did you know that? A lot of people don't like talking about it. Yeah, you're going to die. All the cells that are working pretty good in your body right now, they're not going to, they're not going to always work. They're going to get sideways sour or cancerous or something. And one day they're just going to say, okay, we're done. This guy's gone. Your body's going to be dead. You could get hit by an ice cream truck today. 100% mortality rate, last I heard. Pretty much everyone's still doing it. We're taking longer to get there, but you're going to die. Can we just acknowledge that? And here's the question. 
Can we talk about how we're going to die? Are you going to die with dignity? Are you going to die in a good place? I don't mean like what disease are you going to die from? You know, uh, you know, what meteor is going to land on your head? No, no, no. I mean, how are you going to be when you die? Death is your last life experience. So plan for it. Think about it. Envision it. I love what John Wesley used to say of the Methodists. He used to say, our people die well. That's a good thing to say. Will they say it of you? She died well. Like, really? I didn't know you could make a mistake. How can you screw that up? And I was like, you know, you can. Trust me, you can. I've seen it. I've seen it. Will you die well? Len Sweet says we need to put death in our day timer. Put it on your schedule. Know that it's coming so you envision it in such a way. Like the old folks, uh, uh, the people of faith in a previous century, sometimes what they would do sounds a little weird to us, but think about it. They would sleep in their casket once in a while. Once a year, they would pretend that this coffin, that their bed was a coffin from the perspective of one heartbeat away from eternity. You have great clarity about what matters most. And it would infuse their living today so they were ready when it was really time to be placed in that box. Death is God's great gift of vision to what matters most. And what will matter most on that day tells us how to spend our energy on this day. They say, if you die suddenly, your whole life flashes before your eyes. Well, Len Sweet says, why don't we just do that now, like deliberately? Like if you're dying slowly, what if we just let our lives flash before our eyes and and go over things and say, what are the threads that are loose that need to be tied up? So when you're lying there, finishing well, you can finish well. What forgiveness needs to happen? What relationships and regrets and repentance needs to happen? What gratitude and gifts need to be given So you can finish well because, friend, listen, like the poet said, death is like an old snake skin and it it will just one day be discarded lying there at the garden gate. All who are in Christ and who trust the Lord Jesus and live with Him will find out one day that death is not a dead end. It's a doorway to our best and next life. And so we live with heaven in mind now. We need more people who live on earth now with heaven in mind. Who know it's a real place. Who know they're going to spend eternity with God and they're, they're okay now. Like the Apostle Paul says, well, you know, if I live, that's okay. I'm with Jesus. If I die, that's cool too. I'm good either way. It's all good. To live is good. To die is even better. We need some people who know what it's like to live like that. Give your life to God's mission. Stay faithful. Finish well. And then this, Paul says, I'm being poured out. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Friend, here's my word. Here's the word. This is so, so important. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 18 or 28 or 38 or 48. You might be 58, 68, 78, 88, 98, 108, 118. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. Be a blessing. Be a blessing. Paul is using here a, a, a metaphor from worship. He, you know, he's, he's borrowing from the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 15, where it says they took this cup and they would take it to the altar of God and they would literally pour it out as a sacrificial gift to God. And the way you do that, Paul says, is I am living that way now. I am being poured out. There's like a couple of drops left is all I've got. 
pour your life out the way you honor God, the way you pour your life out to God, is by being a blessing and pouring yourself out to other people. That's how God wires us up. Everybody has a cup. You've got a cup. I got a cup. Everybody's got a cup. And you're one of two kind of people. You're walking around with your cup empty all the time, wanting someone else to fill your cup, griping about how empty your cup is, always expecting someone else to bless you, how hard your life is, how much you hurt, how things aren't fair, how you really wish someone would just fill your cup and you're always so grumpy because your cup's so empty. Or you can be like Paul and say, I'm pouring out. I'm a blessing. I'm here not to say, will you fill my cup? I'm here to fill yours and to empty mine. I'm here to be an encouragement, to bring love, to, to lift and encourage and wherever I show love I can. Which kind are you? Everyone's got a cup. Be a blessing. And if you want to be a blessing in old age, you've got to start being a blessing now. John Ortberg says that every soul needs blessing. And it's so true, isn't it? We're born for it. To have someone bless us, love us, affirm us, encourage us, build us up, tell us that we're who we're meant to be. We're born for it. We hunger for it. We're designed for it. And we flourish with it when we get that blessing. Isn't that true? And when we don't get it, a part of us withers. A part of us aches and worries for it. And we sort of spend our whole lives like a a quest for the blessing. Someone to confirm that we're okay, beautiful, smart, and we have what it takes. So blessing, you see, is huge and it's important. It's more than what happens when someone sneezes in public. Achoo, God bless you. You know what it is? We all have a certain posture toward other people. Dallas Willard says that we have this posture. It's either one of blessing or curse. Some of us have a dark and dreary outlook on life is because, we, because we've, we feel we've been cursed in a sense. So now we're being encouraged to, to give blessing. We're creatures with wills. Your dog doesn't have a will, but you do, and that means you're a person who can bless. And every person you encounter all the time is, is someone that you have an opportunity to will good for them. That's a blessing. Here's the definition. Blessing is the projection of good into another, people's, another person's life. When we think it, Mm, We think it. When we feel it, mm, I want it for you. And when we will it, when we act it out, under the blessing of God, that's a blessing. Every one of us needs it and craves it. And I want to be the kind of person that is going around not saying, who's going to fill my cup, but pouring myself out like Paul did. And you want to be that kind of person too for your spouse, for your kids, for your neighbors, for your friends. For the world. Choose to be a blessing. Let me give you another question that will take that first question, what kind of old man or old woman do you want to be, and make it real practical on this subject of blessing. It's a real simple question, but it kind of boils down to this. Are you a giver or a taker? Because human beings, with our wills, We do one or the other. Some of it's because of our woundedness, our temperament, or our decisions, but you know what? You have a choice. Are you a giver or a taker? That answers what kind of old person you're going to be and it answers what kind of person you are right now. Is your cup out? Fill my cup. Always grumbling about it or are you spilling it out all over other people? 
Will you be marked by gratitude or grumbling? Giver or taker? Your choice. Not your circumstances. Your choice. Your choice. Will you be crusty or kind? Will you be a curmudgeon or Christ-like? Giver or taker? Only two kind of people. Will you be one who breathes life and blessing onto others or who sucks life and energy out of everyone around you? Which are you most days? Will you breathe life and blessing or suck the life out? Isn't it true? Isn't it people like this? You either breathe life and blessing or you suck it out. Which are you? If you don't breathe, you're either going to breathe or you're going to If you don't breathe blessing, you suck. That's what, that's what we're saying. <laughs> Tweet that. Ron Rollheiser says, you want to know what it's like practically when you want to bless your kids, bless other people around you? Let me give you three things. It really boils down to this. Real simple. Here's what it is. First of all, it's, it's about seeing people, really seeing them. Like, I see you. I acknowledge you. I, more than just, I, I appreciate your existence, but I, I see you for who you are. You're funny. You're, you're here. You're hurt. I care. I see you. I apologize to you. I, I, I need your help. That's seeing someone. And if you've ever felt invisible, you know how awful it feels because it's not blessing. It's like a curse, having the world indifferent to you is the worst thing that happened to us. So you bless someone by seeing them. Second, you speak well of them. You delight in them. You speak well of them. Words are powerful, aren't they? They say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words can hurt deeper in a way that, that can never heal like a bone can. Shame on you. You're stupid. Stop that. Why aren't you like your sister? Those things stick with us. And so words then are powerful. I forget. I, I, was, I was in third grade. I was, I was learning a magic trick. My parents had some people over in the house. I went, into the, I went into the room and I said, I'd like to show you a magic trick. And I showed them a little card trick. And as I did it, I looked out of the corner of my eye to see what my dad's reaction was. And he smiled ear to ear and put his hand on my shoulder and said, good job, son. I was in third grade and I still remember that. You tell me why that is. Blessing. And then giving your life so that they might have life. That's the third part of blessing. You, 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 you see them, you speak them, and then you give your life. That's why moms go to, to soccer games and sit in the rain. It's why dads sometimes take extra jobs so the kids can go to college. It's why my mom, I'd sit there in high school before computers, I'd sit there and handwrite my papers and hand one to her, and she'd be over there in a Smith Corona and type it up. And she'd go to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, go to work with three hours of sleep. Why? Because she gave her life away so her kids could have life. And it's a blessing. And I called her and told her this week. Seeing, speaking, and giving. And it's possible to get to old age and to feel like you've been so cursed and your cup is so empty that you don't see others, you don't speak well of them, you, just, you, don't, you don't give your life in blessing. You, you want people to see you. It's about time. You've earned it. You want people to speak well of you. You want other people to build you up. Haven't you earned it? But the way you end well is by being a blessing to others and to give the gift of saying I see you I speak well of you and I give myself for you and the only way any of us comes to that is by realizing that God through Jesus Christ has so blessed us he has seen us and has spoken blessing into our lives and over us and through the gift of his son Jesus Christ continues to give his life 
for us. And out of that richness and fullness, as I receive that grace of God, I have something in my cup to give someone else. You can be a blessing, and I don't care what kind of upbringing you had. You can be that kind of old person today. And these are the words that God spoke over Jesus. Remember how much He blessed His own Son? Jesus burst on the scene and now they're all standing around like He's going to start His ministry. They're like, what's this going to be? I mean, He played on our softball team. I don't know. This kid, what's, what's He like? Does He really have what it takes? And then it is baptism. God the Father spoke from heaven. Mark chapter 111. You are my Son whom I love. With you, with you I am well pleased. Words of blessing, affirmation, encouragement. I see you, I speak for you, and I give myself for you. And those are the very words that every single one of us longs to hear. That I see you and I delight in you. And I hope you hear those words today. Go ahead and hold your cup out. And hear the words of a God who made you. Who knows all of your sins and foibles and all the must you think you've made of your life at whatever stage or phase you're in. And hear His blessing. You are my precious child whom I love. And I delight in you. <sighs> you've got something in your cup now. Go ahead, look, there it is. So be a blessing. And God will keep filling your cup every day. You'll never run out. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus' last act on earth was blessing us. Here's this one who was blessed as a baby. Simeon held him up in the temple. And then God blessed him, the Father, out of heaven when he was baptized. Then he blessed everyone through his whole life. And then his last thing he did, it says, it, it, he, he's standing there. He's, he's already been crucified and resurrected. He comes back before he ascends into heaven. And he's standing there. He raises his nail-scarred hands. And he says probably the, the blessing that Aaron the priest said over his people so many times before that. May God bless you and keep you. May, be, may he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you his peace. And those are the last words they heard Jesus say. We're going to take communion right now. And we just want Jesus to bless us and love us in these moments that same way. So servers, take your places, if you will, and just imagine Jesus with us now, y'all. Standing with his nail-scarred hands over you, just like this. The Bible actually says, do you know that it says, while he was still blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. He's like, I love you, I bless you, may peace be with you. And, and he's still speaking those words of blessing today, right now. And this communion time we share is for all who believe and trust and want that blessing from God who knows that you'll never find that blessing any other way you try to achieve on your own only through Christ and if you come hungry for that this bread and this cup are for you and you put your, your hands out and he will bless you and fill you with it so share in this communion meal if you'd like to and I, I think it's especially important for any of us who feel that you didn't get the blessing it was withheld or you got cursed instead your cup is always empty and all of us feel empty in one degree or another and in Jesus Christ
we have our blessing. We have our blessing. And so as the emblems are passed, just receive it as a blessing, an indescribable gift for you. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for Jesus. He is our hope and our life. And we are grateful for Him. And now we ask that you will bless us and keep us and fill us with your goodness that we might have something to share. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.